and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, the official podcast of Ingenious Prep and your go-to resource for expert admissions strategy. My name is Noelle, and each episode, I'll bring you behind-the-scenes knowledge from former admissions officers about their first-hand experiences reviewing applications. Our strategies have helped countless students gain acceptance to top universities, and we're here to help your student gain that competitive edge and do the same. If you would like to set up a complimentary strategy call, simply follow the link in our episode description and our expert team of enrollment counselors will work with you to create a personalized plan for admission into your student's dream school. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for another exciting episode. Today, we're going to talk all about STEM, particularly STEM activities and how students can stand out in popular clubs like robotics. And for this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Stacy, who is a former admissions officer from the University of Rochester. And you definitely don't want to miss out on what she had to say, especially when it comes to advice like this one. In the activities list, we see the normal, this is what I did, this is where my team placed, this is how I was a part of it. And then when you start to read the fine print of what they're actually doing, you're saying like, that's not typically what people in FIRST Robotics do. When it becomes something atypical or where it becomes something that's more interesting to me as an admissions reader is when a student starts to go beyond the basics of that club. And this. And I would read an abstract or read what they're doing. I'm like, I have no idea what this is even talking about. But then when they could put it in terms that help me understand how it may affect me and the rest of the world, that for a high school student, it's effective. Not only that, but she also had some great advice for you parents out there like this one. We tell them over and over again, like to be humble. And what I'm seeing now, though, is it's almost parents have done too good of a job, right? The students are not spending time saying to their teachers and the people who are going to end up writing them recommendations, the people who could be giving them extra things to do or extra ways to learn, they're not telling them about the things that they are doing outside of classes. All right, for all you STEM students out there, this episode is for you. I hope you're ready and let's jump right in. Hi, Stacey. How are you today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to chat today. But before we start, can you briefly introduce yourself? Share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Yeah. Hi. My name is Stacy Shea. I am a former college admissions officer, though I would say once an admissions officer, always admissions officer. I went to Syracuse University as an undergraduate where I was a division one swimmer on a full scholarship. I come from a family of athletes and I was a political science major there. I went into the higher ed space as an athletic coach at Rutgers and then at the University of Rochester. And that's where I fell into my you know real love, which is college admissions. I was at the University of Rochester for a little over a decade. There I did a doctoral degree studying higher education, specifically college choice making and how 16, 17, 18 year olds make their choices to go to college. And I've just been running with it ever since. Perfect. So we all know that STEM is very competitive and it takes a lot to stand out. So from your experience reviewing applications, what sets apart a standout STEM-related extracurricular activity? When you're looking at a STEM-related extracurricular, 
they're going to be expectations. And I would expect to see students having the traditional offerings. They're going to do Sioli or robotics. I do think it's important that students are doing those very commonplace activities because it shows that they're a team player, they're part of their school, they want to be with their friends, they want to be with their smart STEM friends doing those activities. But what I would say is that when it becomes something atypical or where it becomes something that's more interesting to me as an admissions reader is when a student starts to go beyond the basics of that club. So it's a student who's, let's say, involved in FIRST Robotics who says, okay, so outside of what's happening right now in my robotics club, now I've started taking apart my dad's car and I'm trying to figure out how something works. Or I'm really interested in doing some sort of engineering club and all of a sudden they realize there's not a club at their school that has what they want. And so really it's that display of passion. It makes it unique when there's a display of passion and it can be done within the club. And that generally shows up in the activities list. We see the normal, this is what I did. This is where my team placed. This is how I was a part of it. And then when you start to read the fine print of what they're actually doing, you're saying like, that's not typically what people in FIRST Robotics do. Oh, they started a FIRST Lego League for their elementary school, even though they didn't have to. I guess just like anything in life, what makes it unique, it's when you go above and beyond. And for the activity list, a common question I get is, How specific and in detail should every entry be? So if we were to take your Lego League example, should a student say this was inspired and started for XYZ reason, so on and so forth? Or is this not the kind of detail admissions officers are looking for? So the activities list, I mean, they're obviously caged in with the amount of words that you have available and the number of activities that you have. So there are two different ways it goes. Either one, you're a student that has a billion activities and we're like, okay, so we can't fit all these in and let's figure out a way to either prioritize and decide which of the 10 are the best or we start smushing them and say, okay, so we're going to combine first robotics with Lego League or whatever that may be. But I would say within the activities list, the majority of our time at Ingenious is spent really trying to make sure that activities list is as specific as possible, that the descriptions really show. Because in reality, I know what Science Olympiad does. You don't need to tell me what it is. It's like looking at a job resume. I generally have an understanding of what maybe an administrative assistant does, but give me the fine details. And that helps me truly understand where you've made yourself different. Short answer, more specific, the better. And I have a question from a listener here. They said, I'm a 10th grader who is interested in STEM and engineering. From a previous episode, you mentioned that most students applying to top schools are class presidents. So being class president doesn't help you stand out. I feel like the same applies to robotics teams. A lot of my friends that are interested in the same things I am are also involved in robotics. So how can I stand out among my peers in such a highly participated club? Fantastic question. Thank you so much, a listener who submitted that. What are your thoughts, Stacey, for this student? I often say this to my students, and I think it takes them a little while to comprehend what it means. Make 
someone miss you when you're gone. So when you're in your school and you're part of your robotics team and then you graduate, are they gonna go, oh my gosh, where's Noelle? Who's going to do this now that she's gone? When you make yourself that person, the person that only knows how to lift the bucket a certain way or program, be the person that knows how to do the thing. It's similar to something that my father told me when I went into the workforce. He was like, just make yourself irreplaceable. Find a niche, find something that you're really good at and make sure everyone knows about it. Don't be crazy about it, but make sure you're the person that stands out. If you think of it in the long term, think about the idea that if the person who runs robotics, or I guess this really could be of any club, if they're writing you a recommendation, they should be the one saying, we don't know what we're gonna do when they're gone because they are the person that makes this team run. And so again, that could be one very small area or one overarching, like if you maybe don't necessarily have as much skill in robotics, but you've got great leadership skills or you've got great organizational skills, find what that niche is and do it. And I would say also just listening to the listener's question, just because being a class president doesn't make you unique, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. There are also some baseline expectations that we expect of students applying to top schools. I run the risk of saying, do it great and do all of it all of the time and be the best at it. But if you want to be class president and think you can win, do that too. If you can also do that along with being part of a club and making yourself irreplaceable. Perfect. And to your point about running for class president, if you think you can win, if we extend that thought a bit further to talk about the breadth and depth of a student's activities list, because the goal is to have one cohesive narrative, right? We definitely want to avoid shallow involvement in a bunch of disparate activities, but we also don't want to limit and put ourselves in a box per se. So what is your advice here, especially for younger students looking to build that great, balanced, and focused activities list? By the time you get to your junior year, you should have a pretty good idea of where your focus is based on the things that are being offered to you. And I love to see that students are spending their time doing those things and often their resume will have a lot of activities on it. And so ninth, 10th grade, spend some time searching. You have to try a bunch of things before you decide what you're good at, along with what you're good at, what you love to do. And so don't think that in ninth grade, it's like, well, I started doing robotics in ninth grade and I hate it, but here I am. I've got to do it because it makes me look good to have it on my resume for this many years. You don't have to do that. Instead, as soon as you find something that you know you love, stick with it and go for it. It comes for everyone at a different point. And some never find it. Often those resumes look a little tricky. Those activities lists look a little tricky. The end goal really should be to not be a jack of all trades. It really should be to have a couple of things that you really love to do. I would add an asterisk on there though. If you feel like you're not done exploring, then don't be done exploring. Still leave some room and some time for that because there shouldn't be an expectation on any college's world that you're like, well, here we are, it's junior year. I figured out what I wanna do for the rest of my life and I'm never signing up for anything else ever again. That shouldn't be the case, but certainly we look to see that you've found some sort of passion by that time. 
And to take a step further here, because you mentioned that the end goal is really not to be a jack of all trades, right? And I think it's safe to say that a STEM student will naturally be inclined to involve themselves in as many clubs or activities that have to do with their STEM major, correct? So let's say if sports or music is an interest of theirs, this student would most likely be willing to give up sports or music to instead spend time on nurturing these STEM activities. What are your thoughts on this? And do you have advice on how students can perhaps diversify their profile successfully? This is really about passion. If I've got a student who says, okay, I'm really interested in engineering and I could do robotics, plus I could do the International Bridge Club, plus I could do a engineering competition, and I'm only going to do those things, and I'm not going to do violin, swimming, and rock climbing. I would say that in admissions office, we obviously want to see that your major is codified in your activities. We want to see if you've got a bunch of engineering stuff and then tell me you want to be an English major, that's confusing. We want to see that if you're an engineering major, you've got some engineering stuff. But I also want to see that you're a human being. I would say that a lot of STEM students, there's this weird stereotype that they're incredibly robotic. You know, computer science people sit behind a computer and don't know how to communicate with each other. I would say any way a student has to defy that stereotype would be incredibly helpful. If you are a computer science major, maybe not doing all computer science is helpful. Maybe going out and doing things that involve you actually communicating with other beings and having that on your resume is a better type of thing. If we go back to this idea of the engineer who says, I'm only going to do engineering stuff, that's great if it's because they only love engineering stuff and don't like any of the other things. But if they're an engineering person who says, I'm only doing engineering stuff because this is what college is like, and it's awful because I have this passion for swimming and I have this passion for rock climbing and now I don't get to do it, well, that breaks my heart. And also, in the Common App, we don't get a ton of space and time and room to understand more about a student, but there is enough content in it for me to get a pretty good idea if someone is excited about what they're doing or if they're just slapping it on there because they think it's what we want to see. Really loved your answer there, especially your point about doing a communications project if you're a CS major to really defy these stereotypes. But you're not just defying stereotypes, right? You're also bringing another strong, supportive, supplementary angle to your profile by adding this unique communications angle. So that got me thinking about how a STEM application could easily sway towards seeming one note, just everything STEM, nothing but STEM in an activities list or perhaps even in a personal essay, right? If a student is really passionate about one area, I could see how they'd want to keep talking about it. But all that being said, what is your advice on, yes, keeping a strong focus on your major, but also making sure that the application is fleshed out in other areas so admissions officers can sense that student's full personality and humanness? Our job as former admissions officer within Ingenius is making sure that while a student, we don't want to make a student well-rounded, we make sure that their application is well-rounded. With the things that have been presented to us based off of what they have, we make sure that all of the things that they have done somehow pop up. And really, I would say it's less than even well-rounded. It's more that there are some pretty distinct edges 
right? So you're pulling out the really big, important pieces and making sure they shine. If STEM is the only thing that they have on their resume, well, yeah, it's obviously going to show up. So, you know, having a fencing student right now who's making an app using, I would say, computer science and a little bit of engineering or fencing. As he's writing about all of these interests he has, he's telling us, this is how, while it may look disjointed and I've got all of these different things on my plate, this is what I've done with it. And the personal statement for us ended up being a really great place to go, oh, that's why you're doing all of those things. Like those all make sense. Sometimes people use the personal statement when they don't have room in a supplement as a way to say, let me tell you the story of all of my activities. Let me tell you how these things fit together in my world. So one other way to look at it. I loved your last point there about using the personal statement as a way to tie things together. But I can also imagine that if it's not done correctly and executed strategically, right, in a way that's well thought out, that it can go sideways pretty quickly, right? What I would say is like when it feels really outlandish, that's when it doesn't work. When you're like, so I'm unsure of how you're going to take classics and computer science and make up a story about what you've done with these things. If you have the proper people reading your essays, they're pretty quick to call you out and say, this is no, this doesn't work. Or I keep hearing over and over you talking about the same thing. I have a student right now who wrote about something in one of her supplements and then touches it on again in another supplement. And then I went back and looked at her personal statement and that's what her whole personal statement was about. And it was like, okay, you've got a lot of content in your life. Let's try not to continue repeating ourselves. And she wanted to say that, well, this one's about my leadership and this one's about the actual activity. And so while students can see that, as I'm glancing over it as an admissions person, I'm like, okay, we're talking about the same story over and over again. I would go ahead and say that really, the whole point of the application is you've done all this fun stuff. Talk about all of it. It's like a game to see how much of it we can get in all of the different areas. Perfect. And are you working with a STEM student now? And if so, can you briefly share with us what you did with the student to improve their academic profile whether it's their extracurricular activities or otherwise? I've got one really cool 10th grader. He is a golfer. And our first couple of meetings, all we talked about, it was golf, 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 golf. And I'm a golfer, not a good one, but I'm a golfer. So it was very exciting. And then he started talking about robotics, how his school has a one-year tryout period for their robotics team. And so really he's just there helping trying to strut his stuff a little, trying to make them notice him. And so he came up with this idea, starting to really use CAD and get a better understanding of it. And then he was having problems with his golf clubs. And so guess what? He's trying to now CAD a brand new golf club head and is in the process right now. It's moved far enough that he has this golf club head that he's developed And he's checking swing speeds on it, talking about how it hits the ball and the trajectory of the ball and whether it's this or that. And I said to him, so have you talked to your teacher about this? And he's like, no, why would I? And I was like, well, wait, what? Wasn't the whole point of this? He said, well, no, I'm just trying to learn CAD. And now my brain is saying like, well, no, this is something you need to share with your teacher. So essentially what he did was found something he's really passionate about. And he's now trying to learn something new 
through something he's really excited about. And I think at the end, like he's going to try to get this golf club head actually made, which will be even cooler, at least for himself. We'll see what happens. But the secondary piece, and this is the cautionary tale that I think I'm seeing right now with students is we spend, and I'm a parent, we spend so much time telling our kids, like, don't brag about yourself. Don't be boastful. I heard from Dean Smith, the former Duke basketball coach. He said, a lion never roars after a kill, which of course is like something I said to my kids. They stared at me and had no idea what I was talking about. But the basic idea of this was we tell them over and over again, like to be humble. And what I'm seeing now though, is it's almost parents have done too good of a job, right? The students are not spending time saying to their teachers and the people who are going to end up writing them recommendations, the people who could be giving them extra things to do or extra ways to learn. They're not telling them about the things that they are doing like outside of classes. I have another student who was talking to me about doing these like codathons over the weekends when he's bored and he's winning all of these awards. And I was like, well, does your computer science teacher know that you do those? And he's like, no. And so my brain is like, you gotta tell people about this and put it on your master resume for me, by the way. Because also as an educator, I wanna know if I think this kid's falling asleep in class because he's a slacker. And really what's happening is he's falling asleep in class because he's bored. <laughs> because he's doing higher level stuff, all of these things. And, and I think that maybe this is the larger piece that we all speak about that communication right now is maybe not at the best. And part of what I'm hoping to do and I try to do with my students is really give them the tools to start communicating with their teachers, with other people around them, people in their community. Oh, I love that. And I'm so impressed by the golf club. And I know I'm personally invested now in this student and would love to keep tabs on him. But really, your students are so lucky to have you and really be able to lean on you for that encouragement and bravery, right? To go tell their teachers about all of their incredible achievements. And I can't help but think, as you said, these conversations can lead to bigger things where teachers are looping students into exciting projects down the line that they maybe wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So that's really great advice. Now, speaking more generally here, what is one key thing that STEM students can do to stand out? Is there a certain mindset that helps them stand out? Or is there anything you see that STEM students maybe fail to do? The future researchers of the world are understanding that what they are doing is not just contained to their lab, that it can really have effects on people. And when you hear people talk about, and especially you guys know who you are, the nerdy chemistry, biology, and I would read an abstract or read what they're doing. I'm like, I have no idea what this is even talking about. Letters and numbers no one understands. But then when they could put it in terms that help me understand how it may affect me and sick people or the rest of the world, that for a high school student, it's effective in terms of an application. The easiest way to think about it is the biology student who says they want to be pre-med, who talks about all of the research, but then is the person who says, oh, by the way, I'm interested in public health too, because I want to understand how what I'm doing may affect countries in need or the policies and the laws are behind what I'm doing. And we think about artificial intelligence and things like that. 
How does that affect us, right? I mean, this is the reason I'm invested in the golf club. The golf club fits into my worldview on a very small level. And I would say that the best way to make sure that a student is on that type of path is to cultivate some sort of a reading habit, to have an understanding of what's happening. It's not enough just to say, oh, I'm studying AP biology and I'm doing research. I want to know that they're reading journals. I want to know that they're reading Scientific American or whatever it may be. Reading cool books, reading things like The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Things like that that are helping them understand the implications of what they're doing. And I think that can come through anything, right? Instead of scrolling through TikTok or whatever it may be, spend 15 minutes, find some account that has some interesting science news. And I would say that is really how a student's going to stand out. I love that. And I can't help but take a second here to think about what you just shared, because you are so right. If I were reading something about this new scientific discovery and really have no idea what it means, but... They're now framing this discovery as something that will impact me and my life. All of a sudden, I'm part of that equation and I'm now invested, right? So I think it ties so perfectly to one thing we always talk about, which is really crafting a great application in which admissions officers will become emotionally invested in you. Because at the end of the day, these are the people that will be advocating for your acceptance, right? So I think that's such a great piece of advice. And now you had touched on this briefly before, but are there any misconceptions about STEM that you'd like to debunk for our listeners? The one that comes up a lot, and that mostly comes up during application counseling, and usually like right around junior year, and I have to say it actually mostly comes from parents, is this idea that STEM students need to have won all of these competitions and they need to enter all of these competitions. Like they need to have one science olympiad and there are one or two schools out there that love it when you put what you've got on the amc and all of those others but it can't be overkill i don't need trophy chasers those are not impressive to me and quite frankly for those of us social sciences people out there like we know the stem people are better at taking tests we know that you're good at those things you don't need to take a ton of them to prove your worth to us i would say that the misconception is that a stem applicant has to have a boatload of competitions and awards under their belt to get admitted to one of these top schools and i would say that is not the truth. Instead, I would rather see you either continuing to delve deeper into maybe some independent research or whatever activities you're doing, or finding ways to connect your current activities to something larger in the world. And so I would say maybe that's the other one is that STEM should only be doing STEM. Some of my most successful students, the greatest STEM acceptance ever is getting accepted into this Brown BSMD program, the PLME program. It's incredible. As a person who ran a BSMD program, I can say it was incredible. So this student, obviously superstar STEM student, but some of her best extracurricular activities actually were in the classics. This was not a student who did a bunch of different crazy competitions and awards. Instead, she followed a passion that she additionally had. She wasn't just one-sided and didn't just want to study chemistry. She wanted to study the classics also. Wow. And huge congratulations to her. I love that she had this strong STEM background, which, of course, played a huge role in her getting accepted into Brown's Plimi program. But she also didn't disregard her other huge passion for the classics. 
Do you have another example of a student where you were able to successfully tie in and create this interdisciplinary interest? I had a student, he's not STEM, I guess, but he was business, 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 all of his extracurriculars. This summer, when we started doing application counseling, he says, okay, so I have some bad news. And I was like, oh God, what's happening? And he says, I think I want to be a psychology major. And I was like, all right. And he's like, but I've been afraid to say it because none of my activities list says that I want to be a psychology major. And I went back and said to him, well, here's the deal. Either you tell us now and it may affect your admissions results. That's okay. Like we can pivot. We ended up doing this cool thing. We coined him as a person who wants to essentially do business psychology that wants to help traders and help stockbrokers and all those people like study the psychology of money. And so I would say to students who are starting out now, who are starting to go, okay, maybe I should really start to think like most people have a pretty good idea if they're interested in STEM or not. Schools offer so many things. The internet is gigantic. Just do that exploration and start looking and seeing what's out there. Obviously don't go, hey, I tried this one day, I hate it, now I'm out. Sample some of these activities. And if you get an idea and you say, I love chemistry, but I thought food science was what I wanna do and I actually hate it. Well, then stop doing it and find something else. I think that students get this idea that they've wasted time if they decide to change their minds. The students who are the most successful at the end are the ones who allow themselves to grow and change until they can find something or pieces of those things at the end that they really end up loving. And going off that, do you have any advice for our parents listening on how to best encourage their students to start exploring their interests early? Here's the thing, because I'm also a parent, I know that we have to pay for things and it's expensive. Like my daughter, my eight-year-old, God bless her little soul. I was like, all right, you want to do swimming. You don't have to do swimming because I did swimming. You want to do swimming. She happens to be a pretty good swimmer. So I was like, sweet, this is great. We go to sign up for it. Yes, mom. Yes, mom. Yes, mom. We go, no joke, to the third practice. And she's like, I don't really want to go anymore. And we just paid for a whole year. You don't pay monthly for swimming. You pay for a whole year. And she says, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I was like, I'm just seeing dollar bills flying out the window. And my brain says exactly what every parent and every person my age, you've got to stick it out. Like you've got it. You made a commitment. You've got to stick it out. But then my brain is saying to me, well, I'm sitting here telling students to do what they're passionate about. And I'm not letting my own kid give up. And it's like, is she giving up or is she just checking out and saying like, this is not my jam. This is not what I want to do, right? I think that we all in everything in life, it's like, am I giving up or am I making the choice to say? So what I said to her was, do you not like this because there's something else that you want to do with your life? And she said, well, yeah, I told you I wanted to play lacrosse. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that would have been helpful prepayment. But the reality is, you know, as parents, all we want is for our kids to get involved and to do things that they love. We want them to not quit them once we've signed up for them. But there is this weird gray area where you could be the parent who does everything for the first robotics league. And you're involved, all of your parents, all of your friends are there. And then your student, your child says, I don't want to do robotics anymore. I want to be a classics major. 
well, you've got some skinny in the game too. And it's hard to make that decision. Are they quitting because they don't like someone on the team? Are they quitting because they really don't like it? Are they quitting because they found something else to do? So, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer, but there is some psychology behind it for sure. Fantastic. And I just have one final question for you today, Stacey, just to wrap up this interview. And this is something I love asking all of my podcast guests. If you could leave our listeners with one key piece of advice, and this can be about anything college admissions, what would that be? I would say to students, make sure you're doing what you want to do. You are the one who is going to college. Your parents are not going to college, your teachers, your friends are not going to college for you. Make sure that you are choosing the things that you want to do because they are interesting to you and because you're passionate about them, because you are the only one who has to live this life in college. And I would say that even includes where you go to college and hold firm to that. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you would like to speak with one of our experts, you can set up a complimentary strategy call with one of our enrollment counselors by following the link in our episode description. And for more information and access to additional resources, you can register for our webinars, which is also linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, you can email me directly at noelle.kim at ingeniousprep.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Admissions Office. And don't forget to follow the podcast so you're notified every time a new episode is available. That's all for now. And I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.